What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Primal Baseball Podcast. If you have not done so already, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube at Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L. we got some cool content coming out and more podcasts on the way as well. First off, sorry about my voice. Uh, I am back in Belmont, Massachusetts for a couple days. I forgot my microphone and stand in North Carolina, so I don't have that. So the audio might be a little bit worse. Plus, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. So stick with me for a little bit. Doesn't doesn't sound too bad, I hope. But today I have a, a guest, uh, Henry Leak. He was not only a co-captain at Babson with me, um, but he was my summer farm roommate for 2022 summer, 2021 summer. Played on the Upper Valley Nighthawks together. He slept in the room across from me at the farm and and was a farm boy for um for a couple months. So uh, I'll let I'll let Henry introduce himself further before we get into some questions. But Henry, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been uh, meaning to do this for a while, so it's nice we can finally uh get a little convo going. But uh, I'm Henry Leak. Um, currently, I'm the director of pitching development at Boston College. Um, so basically, like an assistant pitching coach. Um, while I'm finishing up my grad degree, I'm doing an MBA program at Boston College. Um, before BC, before coaching at BC, I played there for two years. Um, I did my fifth and sixth years there. Um, played against Jordy actually at Northeastern a couple times. Um, and then before that, I was at Babson College for four years. So um, finished my bachelor's degree and had a great um, four-year college experience, both in baseball and in school. Also meeting, you know, lifelong friends. Um, like Jordy and uh, yeah. And then before that I went to Burbank high, I'm from Burbank, California. Um, so I went to Burbank high school um, before I uh, started my college career. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you touched on Burbank because one of the things I want to talk about with you is just your high school experience, whether you were playing multiple sports, whether it was mostly a baseball focused, I, I guess like your experience in high school and sports was it more, focused on baseball being from Cali, obviously you have an opportunity to play year round, but how did that kind of unfold for you as you were going through high school? Yeah. So growing up, I'll just start from the beginning. So growing up, um, I only played two sports. I always played baseball and soccer. Um, so I played, you know, basically it was like seven months of baseball and five months of soccer every year growing up from when I was probably eight to high school. Um, so in high school, uh, I played my freshman year of soccer. I was on the JV team. Um, it was a lot of fun, but um, I wasn't very good at it compared to um, I was a decent high school baseball player. Um, so then after that first year, after my freshman year, I just played baseball the last three years. Um, but yeah, in California, it's really nice. You know, the fields are always usable, right? It's not usually rained out. Um, probably rains 10 days a year, 15 days a year. So um, I had, I was lucky to be able to grow up in a place where I could play baseball all the time or go to a local park and always throw, um, outside. So, um, yeah. And even if I didn't play soccer, I could have played baseball probably 12 months a year, right? There's baseball almost all year long in California, um, which is really nice, but, um, I'm really glad that I played soccer growing up. Um, I really loved it, had a lot of fun and I think indirectly it also helped with my baseball, um, just being athletic. Um, getting in good shape, having good footwork, things like that, you know, proprioception of your body and all these different movements and um, skills to develop. Um, I think it really helped my baseball career 
more than my baseball career helped my soccer career. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, California is definitely a nice place to grow up if you want to, if you want to play baseball all the time. And as you moved, as you were moving into like the later high school years, for those who don't know, you, you were a walk-on at Babson, which is a, a D3 program, like a walk-on at D3 is, is a pretty low level coming in. Like you hear about walk-ons in D1, but walk-on in D3 is, is lower, right? So like, what did your recruiting process look like to Babson, to anywhere? And, and why was, did it end up being a decision for you to walk on at, at a place like Babson? Yeah. So my, uh, I kind of did the normal recruiting process that any high schooler would do, um, or at least, you know, it's growing into more of this, but I, I went to a bunch of showcases, probably went to, you know, six to eight showcases. I did a perfect game showcase where they got all my metrics and everything. Um, so I did all that. I reached out to a bunch of schools, you know, emails, email blasts, um, to, you know, 50 schools that I wanted. Um, all of them, basically all of them, uh, I was not good enough to play at. So I was kind of shooting emails and hoping for something to happen. But um, really, I just wasn't good enough to uh, play at a lot of the schools I was emailing, like UCLA, Stanford, things like that. You know, my dream schools that um, just didn't have the school, the, the skills. Uh, baseball skills to be able to get in or, or attract coaches attention. Um, so what I did, I had pretty good grades in high school and I applied to probably 10 schools um, just academically. Um, I had no offers um, at a high school. I think one school recruited me. I went to an official visit at Occidental, which is a D3 in California. Um, but they didn't offer me, didn't have any offers. So just applied academically. I got into UC Santa Barbara and Babson. So it was either one, it was one of those two is where I was going to end up. Um, and I actually went to a UC Santa Barbara camp, um, in high school. Uh, at that point I was a two way and it was really nice and really thankful. I, I emailed the coach after and I said, Hey, what are the chances if I walked on like next year, um, that I would be able to play at, at UC Santa Barbara. And he was very honest with me and said, you're not good enough. Like you probably won't make the team. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids would take that, you know, as, you know, it sucks to hear, but um, it was good, honest feedback. And so it didn't, didn't, and, and baseball was important for me going into to play college baseball. So I ended up going to my other option, which was Babson. Um, I went there because my aunt, I, I, I'd only heard about it because my aunt went there. She said, Hey, you should apply. It's a good school. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, never heard of it. My friends never heard of it, um, but I'll do it. And that ended up being my best option. And I was confident, you know, that I could walk on and my skills would be able to compete at that level. Um, and I was luckily, luckily able to do that and showcase my skills in the fall. I was probably throwing 83 to 86. Um, so that's why I didn't get a ton of interest from D1s. But um, I was able to compete uh, enough to be able to earn a spot on the team. And uh, I'm really thankful that I was I was able to have that with um you know, like the coaches at Babson College, Coach Matt Noon and Bruce Ginsburg were allow, were allowing me to stay on the team. And uh, from then, it was a blast, right? Like, yeah, I was a walk on a D3, but I worked hard and worked my way up and, you know, got more innings. And um, we had a really good program, really great, great bunch of guys, um, had a lot of winning seasons. So um, it was a blessing in disguise, right? Like I never ended up wanting to go to Babson out of high school, but it turned out to be an awesome ride. Um, and I wouldn't have chosen another place to go, really. Yeah, I think sometimes, 
sometimes we get caught up in the moment, especially if you're listening to this and you're uh, any you know any age of high school or whether you're thinking of, of where you're going or where you want to go. I I don't have a the most similar story to leak, but I went to SNHU out of high school, Division Two, and just knew it wasn't the place for me, and then ended up transferring into Babson. And I wasn't really sure of it, but but it's it's weird how these things, if you just work hard and put your head down and kind of accept where you're at, these things kind of fall into place for you. Like I never expected to be at Babson, but it was the right place for me and it worked out well. And then never expected to go to Northeastern. I was committed to Richmond and ended up being there. So it all, it all starts to fall into place as long as you just put your head down and work hard. Um, opportunities will arise and it might not seem like it in the moment, but if you put put your heart into something and are, are grinding away at it every day, eventually something something will fall your way and it'll be the way it was supposed to go. Uh, so so yeah, you skipped over a little bit that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about your struggles, like entering Babson and and just the struggles of adjusting at college baseball. And it's different for you because not only were you a pitcher, but you were a two way. So and even in the fall. Uh, Henry is actually 0 for 1 against me. I faced him in the fall, <laughs> so, faced him in the fall sophomore year when I transferred in. He had a good piece on the ball. I threw him a fastball. He hit it well. Just center field fly out, but uh, maybe a lineup. I didn't have the juice. Yeah. The juice. But yeah, maybe you could talk about the struggles because you have it from both sides. You were a pitcher having to adjust and a hitter having to adjust. Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely even even if it's D three, like it's still a huge jump up in skill and and the pace the pace of play, right? Like the game just gets faster the higher level you're at. Um, so everything was faster, everything moves faster, right? The breaking balls are better. Um, that was the biggest thing for me, hitting wise, at least. Um, I was I was a pretty good hitter in high school. I probably hit like four hundred um, with one homer, but I, you know, once I got to college, um, I was just not able to hit a slider. And, you know, just not able to make good contact on the ball as often. Um, and it quickly, it quickly turned into me just becoming a PO. Um, my best tool growing up, like since I was young, my best tool had always been my arm. Um, I just had a good arm. I was able to throw faster than most kids where I wasn't able to hit for power or hit for average or run or defend like other people, but I had a good arm. Um, so it just turned into, I, I always like to say, um, your position chooses you. You don't choose your position, right? Like I would have loved to have hit my whole career, but, um, you know, pitching chose me and hitting didn't, didn't want me, uh, any longer. Um, so th that was definitely tough. Um, but it allowed me to, you know, focus on pitching. I always enjoyed, you know, being on the mound, um, you know, having the ball in my hand all this at all times, um, being in control of the game. Um, so, you know, I didn't see it as, as a downside. I took it as a positive. Right, I was able to focus on it more, um, and really sharpen my strength, my best tool, um, and utilize it to try to you know win games and um, perform at a high level. Um, but yeah, from the pitching side, I mean, I guess the biggest difference that I had was in high school, I probably walked a good amount of guys, probably one every other inning. So like, if I had fifty innings in high school, I probably had twenty five walks. Um, so the biggest difference really was, you know, commanding the ball. Um, obviously, I want to throw harder and throw better pitches and all these things. Um, but at the college level, it just becomes so important to, 
you know, limit free bases. Um, if you can limit free bases, you're just not going to give up as many runs. You're going to be harder to score on. Um, so that was like the biggest step up for me, um, at least going up into my freshman year of college. Um, after that, things kind of started to change and, you know, I was able to throw a little bit harder, but, um, at least going to that freshman year, that was the biggest difference. Um, and, and, and I think what you're touching on with some of my struggles pitching is my freshman year, I, I only pitched 2.2 innings. Um, I didn't pitch until about two thirds of the way into the year. I got one inning, um, at, in a blowout game. Um, but I did pretty well. I didn't give up a run. And then I pitched in another blowout game. It happened to be in a regional. Um, we had a good season. So it also didn't help that we had a good bullpen and, and I wasn't able to, con- well, nobody lost their job for me to take. Right. Um, but yeah, my freshman year, I didn't really pitch a lot and it stunk and I hated being on the bench, but, um, I did what I could. I still was a good teammate and worked really hard to be able to, you know, contribute more to the team next year and, and get more innings and, um, perform when my name was called, um, which I was able to do the following year. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest takeaways out of that, at least for me and, and in this podcast, sometimes I'll say like, Oh, it's a takeaway for me, but I just want to like, when I do that, I want to focus on some things that if you're listening, maybe they kind of slipped, slipped by your mind. But for me, right. Like that end part of, of just being a good teammate, like, Henry got 2.2 innings, but it wasn't like he was sitting there pouting on this on the bench. Maybe he could have been. I wasn't there, but I don't think knowing him that he was doing that. So your opportunity is going to come, but if you're not ready for it and, and you're just feeling bad and feeling like you're the victim because you're better than somebody, when your opportunity comes, you're not going to be ready and you're going to not have success. You're going to have failure, which is fine to have failure, but if – you got to be ready for the moment. Like Henry got his one inning and sure he, he got one inning, like, but no runs. He did his job and eventually he got another inning and then another inning. So there's always going to be a time when you get an opportunity. Coaches are always looking for an opportunity. I can say it from a player standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, like you're always looking to give the guy who works hard an opportunity. That doesn't mean he's going to do well, but you're trying to, you're trying to give him as many opportunities as you can. So you got to prepare for your opportunity, whether you're the ace or whether you're the last guy in the pen. And eventually some, some cool things will happen. Like a D three walk on to a Friday night guy for Boston college is a crazy story, but it's a story. It's not like me and Henry or these crazy dudes who are like the most blessed athletically talented guys. We just kind of worked our, worked our butts off and, and continued to, to get better over five and six years and, and got opportunities and then did well in the opportunities. And that's how we, we made our money. So we didn't yeah. make any money, but. but yeah, I, mean, I think the, uh, another thing, like we obviously worked hard, um, you know, and, and we improved, you know, over time. Uh, but I think why we work or why we worked hard is just as important, right? Like if you're not getting a lot of innings, you know, for me, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of innings. I had 2.2 appearances my freshman year. Could have easily been like, hey, this isn't for me. I'm not good enough. Um, but I think the reason why Jordy and I, on top of, you know, working hard is um, is is the passion that we have for the game. Like, there's, you know, I've had a lot of teammates both in high school and in college that just don't have the passion for the game. 
And, and if you're really naturally talented, naturally gifted, you can perform very well, even if you're not that passionate for the game. Like, but we just weren't like that. Jordy and I, you know, we're, we have a, a decent level of skill and we developed, but like we weren't naturally amazing, right? We didn't go to, you know, power five school out of, out of high school. Um, but, you know, our passion for the game allowed us to work hard. Even when we weren't playing, we still wanted to get better, even if we weren't going to see it on the field that year. Um, we still just really loved getting better, um, getting in the weight room when the weight room's closed, locked up, um, you know, throwing, <laughs> throwing the snows on the ground, um, just yeah. because we loved it. Like we just yeah. loved it. And, and yeah, we always have the goal of winning and, and being the best we can and, and playing at a high level and transferring to a D one. But like, um, that, that sort of happens after you have the passion for the game. So, um, I think that's like the biggest difference or the biggest reason as to why we were able to play, you know, at a higher level later in our careers um, is because we had that passion to keep going, keep looking for, you know, you know, things that can help us, you know, marginally, right. Just to get slightly better day in, day out. Um, so I, I think that's really important to touch on is it's not just work ethic. Well, where the work ethic comes from, I think is the passion, right? So like you, if you don't have the passion, you have to find something else that's going to keep you working hard. Um, being consistent with everything you do um, on and off the field. Um, for us, I think it was the passion of it, right? Passion for the game. For some guys, it's something else, and that's fine. Um, but I think you got to find that something because it's not it's not just as simple as saying, yeah, I'm a hard worker. It's, it's you know, well, why are you a hard worker, right? Like, what, what, what is it about it that keeps you going, right? So for us, it was it was just we love the game, love being out there, um, throwing in the snow, right? going to the gym when no one else is there when it's when it's late at night um so i think that's really important to touch on as well yeah just having a foundation over everything like something you can always come back to because there were definitely days it's not like we were just like having so much fun going to the gym when no one was there like throwing in the snow like that was fun but like in the moment it doesn't always have to be like a fun moment even with failure it's not always gonna be fun but just always having that like why am i actually doing this and then you're, it's a little bit easier to get through the hard days because not every day is going to be a good day. There's going to be a lot of bad days, a lot of good days. Like it's going to be a mix of both. That's just how in general, that's how life is too. So just having something to come back to like a foundation or a reason you're doing it is, is always a good thing. Before we get to another question or another conversation, I just want to add, we might've liked the gym a little bit too much. We actually got um, Elias who I had on this podcast and he's our, strength and conditioning coach at Primal Baseball. Henry and I actually got him fired from Babson. So we, we uh, Elias let us lift in the weight room after hours. And during COVID, we actually got Elias fired. So Elias, we're sorry. But uh, it <laughs> worked Elias, out. You're the man, though. You're, you're the man, bro. But it worked out all right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just wanted to touch on, like, you coming, coming in, you said you were 83, 86. But – at least when I got to Babson sophomore year, you were like 90, 92. So maybe talk about the velo jumps that you saw and was it this one big jump or was it kind of these small things that just compounded, 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 and finally you were throwing harder? Yeah. Um, yeah, as I said, my freshman year fall, uh, I was probably 83, 86. Maybe I topped a seven, um, but probably, you know, 84, 85, sitting 84, 85. Um, and I quickly realized – um, it was actually the first, so the first series of Babson's 
uh, season in March, when the start of the season, um, is always in, in Texas. And then the second one's in Florida. Um, and my freshman year, I was left off both the travel lists. So I didn't even travel to either of those. And I quickly realized, hey, like, I'm probably not going to pitch this that much this year, right? Like, I wasn't on the travel list, right? There's only, like, five or six players out of 35 that don't make the list. And I was one of them, right? And, and you know, I'm, I just wasn't good enough, right? Like, that was a big reason for it. Um, like, I thought I was good and I was still confident in myself, but that's just not what the coaches saw. Um, and, and, and they had good reason to, um, but I realized that I wasn't going to play that much. So what I did was I, I lift, I probably came into college about five, 11, 180 pounds. Um, and then at the end of that year, just that one freshman year, I was five eleven two hundred five, and I put on a bunch of weight. Um, I ate pretty well, um, like pretty healthily. I, you know, was staying, I, you know, taking my protein powder going into the gym at nights, like I, I lived in the gym. Um, I knew I wasn't going to play even during the season, even during the season when a lot of times people fall off their weightlifting routine. I knew I wasn't even going to play. I wasn't even worried about being sore or, you know, I obviously was going to be prepared for the game. And like, I still had to work through that um, because if my name was called, I had to be ready to go. But I was lifting more than everybody else on the team. And, and partly because of my passion for it, but partly because I knew, I knew I wasn't going to be pitching every, you know, had to be ready every weekend and the midweeks. Um, I could use that time to my advantage, that time that I wasn't throwing to my advantage and go lift. Um, so that was the biggest thing was I just completely transformed my body. Um, came in at 5'11", five, five, 180, put on 20, 25 pounds. Probably not all muscle, but like a good amount of muscle. And, and I was lifting, I was, I was lifting almost like a bodybuilder. Um, sometimes, you know, I would still do strength lifts and like max out my deadlifts or like I, I, I love doing like cleans back in the day. Um, but I, you know, I was doing, you know, heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, heavy bench, um, basically. And then I was just hitting a lot of volume too, just getting bigger, getting stronger in all areas, all these weird, you know, uh, you know, rows and things like that. Um, but, but it completely transformed my body. And then I think at some point in the spring of my freshman year, we were just throwing live, uh, live ABs to our guys, um, and I, I threw like, I popped a 90 for the first time in my career in my life. Um, so it was just a, it was a big jump in a couple months from throwing, you know, 86 to 86, 87 to like top of 90. And I contribute that almost completely just towards lifting, like getting bigger, getting stronger, um, taking it seriously, being consistent, completely changed my body, put on more mass, was able to move that mass faster. Um, and that completely changed who I was. And then coming back after that freshman year, going into sophomore year, um, I was, yeah, I was 90-92. Completely different pitcher. And, and then I was able to pitch a lot and be, uh, and perform at a high level. Um, but that was the big difference was, I think the big thing for me was I recognized that I wasn't going to be able to pitch in the, in, in the season. Um, so I utilized it to my advantage, right? I got in the gym, crushed it. Um, changed who, how I, who, how I looked like physically changed how I moved on the mound. Um, just developing that strength and putting on some more pounds. Um, and I was a completely different pitcher. Right. Yeah. Another, another takeaway. I mean, this doesn't have to be in college. This could be for a high school or two. Like if you're not going to pitch and you know that, that doesn't mean that it's a waste of a year. Like, I mean, these are just example, like real life examples of, 
of high level pitchers like Leak. Like he had he had a year where he knew he wasn't going to pitch. <clears throat> he didn't take that and pout. He didn't take that and try to to like adjust his mechanics. Maybe he did a little bit here and there, but like he you got to look at the base structure first. Like he knew he needed to get his weight up. He knew he needed to eat better. He knew he needed to be stronger in the weight room, more explosive. So he got the small things right, got in the weight room, got his weight up, got stronger, ate better. And like things just slowly, slowly, slowly over time change and and all of a sudden set up or show up almost overnight. So people think it just happened like that. Um, but but yeah, that's a good example there. And, and you talked a little bit about how how we got better like it wasn't like we were going to a place with a rap soto and and motion capture and like getting the scans of our body those those things are great like if you have access to that for sure do that that's a cool thing to do but if you don't have those it doesn't mean that you can't have success and can't be good like maybe you could touch on i mean i've touched on a little bit but it's nice to hear a different voice like maybe you could touch on how we were training with the little resources we we did have as as D three players, like how how we were able to kind of think outside the box and utilize what we did have. Yeah, um, yeah, like you mentioned at, at Babson, we didn't have any. We we barely used radar guns. Uh, we didn't even use radar guns for bullpens or games. Like you could you you know you could throw a bullpen or a game and you'd have no idea how hard you were throwing. Um, which again is a blessing and a curse, right? Like it's really nice to know how hard you're throwing. Some days you want to know, some days you don't want to know when you're having a bad day, but also like it, it emphasized, you know, commit more command focus, right? Like you're not, you're not out there trying to hit a number. You don't even know what the number is. So like, it doesn't even matter. Like you're trying to just get the guy out. Like it kind of takes away the focus of, and then if you, if you bring in TrackMan or Rapsodo into that, like you don't know how, how much your slider is moving. You just know if that guy hit the ball or you, you walked him or you hit a home run, right? Or how many runs you gave up in that outing, um, which is the game, right? That's the foundation of the game. Like all the data and metrics are super fun and interesting. And I love them. Like I love them. But as a player, as a young player, especially who just needs to improve their base level, you know, go from throwing 85 to 90 um, and, and being able to throw strikes consistently like that was super beneficial for us not to get dived too far deep into the data and all these things. Right. Cause that just takes away from the focus of, you know, I just need to throw the ball in the zone and get this guy out. Right. Um, so that's the game. And I think it benefited both of us. Um, we would, Jordy and I would at Babson, we, we'd really didn't have like a throwing routine. Um, like our coaches didn't, you know, line up a, a throwing routine. We weren't even allowed to throw plyos really. Um, we would sometimes sneak plows in, you know, you know, we would throw some weighted balls and stuff, uh, later on, later on in our career. Um, while we weren't at the field, we weren't allowed to do it at the field, but, um, you know, we would sneak men right in and we, we, we weren't really told to long toss, but we would long toss, right. We would do things on the side. Um, when we'd go back home, um, when, when we were in our down season in the fall and winter, like we would do it on our own and, and we would long toss um do weighted balls also you know we love learning about the game like we see what the best guys are doing who, who's super knowledgeable learning from them through social media um and, and and try to implement it 
and see if it worked. If it didn't work, then we stopped doing it. And if we liked it, we kept doing it. Um, so, you know, I think not having some Rapsodo and, 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 and even radar guns, um, you know, kind of stinks a little bit. Like it's not as fun maybe, or as interesting as it could have been. It really helped us sharpen our skills of really just competing. Like we went out there and we just competed and we tried to get the guy out. We didn't worry about how much our sweeper was moving or if we had a dead zone fastball or how hard we were throwing. Like it was all about just competing, getting the guys out. Um, so I think that really helped us develop, especially young in our career when it was most important to just develop those base things, you know, throw, throw some good velo and throw it in the zone and get guys out um, and compete at a high level. I don't know if you have anything. I'm trying to remember something in particular that we did that was um, completely out of the norm maybe for that point, but I don't know if you have any examples of that. Yeah, I mean, we and it wasn't even like – we didn't even really know that much about weighted balls. We kind of just did it here and there and, like, tested the waters. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, we, we really were just like – I mean, I know especially – I can only remember a few times when we were – really away from the field throwing just kind of on the upper fields, but, but yeah, just, just like almost feeling things like just trying to feel things that we thought we might need to feel. And some of them were totally wrong. Like doesn't mean that we were always right in the moment. Like we were probably wrong a lot of the time, but I think being wrong helped us become better because down the road, we were, when looking back, we were like, Oh, that, that actually didn't feel that right. So just knowing what, like, you're not going to know what feels wrong and what feels right unless you do what feels wrong. So just play around with it. Like it's great to have coaches and pitching coaches. We didn't have pitching coaches. Um, we had very little access to one, if any, but um, just kind of being your own pitching coach along. It's great if you're going to have a pitching coach, but you can be your own coach almost like that's, that's kind of how we went about it as well. Um, but, and just do, sometimes you just got to do like, fun stuff like we threw in the snow and we just like long tossed and and it doesn't always need to be a structured plan I know that in today's baseball world everyone's looking for the perfect program sometimes just going and throwing and having fun is is what's going to get you better and I really enjoyed all the times I throw we threw it was never like I felt like we had to throw we were always just kind of having fun with it um so so that was cool yeah it wasn't yeah Go ahead. I think that's a good way to put it. Sorry. Yeah. I think it's a good way to put it is that we were our own coaches, right? We didn't have really a dedicated pitching coach and, and it's really nice to have a dedicated pitching coach. You can, you can bounce ideas off of, but you know, you have to be your own best coach. Um, you're the only one that knows how your body feels. Um, and Jordan, and I felt like different things. Like we weren't, we aren't the same throwers. Nobody is. So some things that I felt or, you know, i I felt good throwing. I would tell him and he'd be like, he wouldn't know what I was saying and, and then vice versa. Right. Like you just feel different things, but we both, you know, really try to master the, the, the skill of pitching, like the skill of throwing the, you know, the skill of it. Right. It's like, it's, you have to be your own best coach. I think that's a good way to put it. And that, that is a good summarization of, of what we did to develop. Um, we just try to be our own best coach and find things that worked for us and then just drill it in. Um, and, and, and we tried a lot of things wrong all the time, but the things that worked, we, we, we did it, we stuck with it and, and it really helped us. Yeah. And when you came to Babson, 
I know you touched a little bit that you were pitching in high school, but at least the second year when I was there as a sophomore, your role, um, you were kind of the setup, maybe the setup guy, um, but it's still a back end bullpen guy, right? That's still a that's still a mindset where you want to have the ball, and and when you come in, the game is in a high leverage situation. Um, how did you? And then junior and senior year, you were our closer. Like that's that's just what you were. Um, but how did you adjust to the role of the closer? And what was you know did did you start to feel more pressure moving into that role? And what was not only your physical game, but your mindset and your mind game and mental game going into that role. Like that's a tough role to have. And maybe you could talk on what it, what it took and what it was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you said, uh, my sophomore year, I was pretty much exclusively just the eighth inning guy. I basically only threw in the eighth inning, um, which was a lot of fun. And I do think there is slightly less pressure being an eighth inning guy versus the closer. Um, when I started to close my junior year and senior years, like, there is added pressure and and if anyone's saying there isn't like they're lying to you like there's definitely added pressure you can lose the game this inning and it's all your fault or you know you lost the game kind of with you on the mound um whereas the eighth inning guy it's a little less pressure right like there's definitely some added pressure and um you just kind of have to take it um you just you just have to be able to compete um and, and, and almost take it as a compliment like you're the guy that the coach and your teammates want in the ninth ninth inning winning the game for you, like you want to be that guy. Um, I remember I heard. I'm trying to see if I can remember the exact quote, but um, I remember watching the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, um, and you know, he 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 put it in a way that was you know, when when you get the ball, like the game's over, right? Like you want to be the guy that when you get the ball, like you finish the game. Like the other guys, the other pitchers that throw the, all their eight innings, I remember saying this to you back in the day, the other eight, eight innings of the game don't really matter, right? Like I'm I'm here as the closer to win the game. Like that, that was kind of the mentality that I tried to take to it. Like as a closer, you're I want to win the game. Like I get the ball when we're trying to win the game, right? So like even though it's it's absolutely not – logical because all nine innings are the same it's still 27 outs and i'm only getting three of them to me like that that mindset was a good one to have where it's like all right like my job here is to win the game like those other eight innings didn't matter at all like i'm here to just put up a zero and i win the game right like so I, you know you just have to find a mindset that works for you um whether that's being ultra confident um whether that's treating it the same as every other inning um every guy's a little different um but, you, but there is added pressure and, and you have to be ready for it. So you have to know what mindset you need to get in um, your preparation before going into the, into the game, both, you know, the, the morning leading up and, and the five minutes you're warming up in the bullpen ready to go in. You have to find a way to get in the right mindset so that you're ready to go when, when the pressure's at its highest. Right. Um, and closing the game, like pressure is a privilege, right? You've heard it. Pressure is a privilege. Like, yeah, it's more pressure, but um a lot of other guys would love to be in your spot right now. And, and, you know, you just got to enjoy it. Right. Cause, cause at the end of the day, like it's really fun to, you know, strike at the last guy and, and, and the catcher taps you up and everyone gets to celebrate. Um, so it was a lot of fun and, and I, I, you know, I tried to do my best and I, I blew some games, like for sure. I blew some games and um, you just have to bounce back and trust yourself and be confident that, 
that uh, you can put up a zero at any time, right? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yeah, I think sometimes, and and I was a starter at Babson and kind of switched to a reliever at Northeastern, so we kind of had flip flop roles. Like you were a reliever, and then at BC you switched to a starter, mm-hmm. and I was a starter and switched to a reliever. But like just being uh, not even being okay with the with the the chance that you're going to blow a game, but like there's always a chance that you're going to blow a game, but like if it's a fear, then it's going to become an issue. So if you're afraid of blowing the game, like you're probably not going to have a lot of success, but if you're, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm okay with blowing the game, but if you're afraid and you're not attacking, you're going to, you're going to have a bigger chance of blowing the game. So when you're in that, in that space, like you said, the mindset of just kind of having the, the, privilege to do it what do you have to lose like yeah obviously there's a chance you blow the game but there's also a chance that you're the man so like you pick which one you want to hold on to because I know a lot of people always ask like oh isn't it like so so pressure filled to be out there like aren't you scared of losing the game and like being the guy that loses the game and it's like no like I'm not scared of being the guy that's going to lose the game I there's a hundred percent I'm going to be that guy like that's part of the job. Like that's just part of it. You got to live with that. But if, if you can't, if you can't be, if you can't handle the, like all the failure being pointed in your direction, you're never going to be able to have all the success pointed in your direction. So you got to be able to, to deal with it with a big loss on you. Like you're just going to have to be in, in the face when everyone's coming at you saying like, that's on you. Like, yeah, that's fine. What, like it's a loss. What are you going to do? Like right. it happens, just move on. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the biggest, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, and now that I, I talked about you being a starter, kind of what was that transition like from from being a, a reliever to a starter? And not only was it you had to go to a starter, but it was also you had to go up a level. So maybe you could talk about your transition to division one and then also the same year transition to the starter and, and what the mindset shift was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a, just to touch on what you just said, um, I think that's a really good point. Like, you just have to be aware of the fact that you are going to blow games. And, like, um, I remember at BC, I was going through a tough time. I had a tough tough stretch of games. I was losing some confidence, losing my kind of edge, um, you know, just at a higher level. And it wasn't performing how I'd want to. Um, it was kind of affecting me, right? And I remember my, my dad actually texted me this quote. It was from Dune, like the movie Dune. Um, and I don't remember it word for word, but it basically said, um, fear, fear is the mind killer. And to overcome that, right? Like if you're, if you, if you're afraid of fear or there's a fear that you have, like it's going to, it's going to break you down. Um, but to overcome that, you have to let it pass through you. Like you have to accept that you have this fear and, and embrace it almost. And then at the end of the day, once, once you're over that, knowing that you're going to fail and you have this fear and you fully embrace that and let it go through you, you like, then you're free. Like, then you're free to perform. That's when you, you perform your best in the mound when you've accepted the fact that, yeah, fear is going to happen. But like, I understand that. And I know it, I acknowledge it. I'm past it. Now I can go out there and just have fun and go and go compete. Right. But like you still, you have to have that for that process. So um, I just remember hearing that quote from my, from my dad and watching the movie. It's a great movie. You should watch it. Um, But it's, 
um, it just touched, it's basically what you just said. And I, I think it's super important and a really good point, right? Like you just can't let the fear break you down. Cause it will, it will, if you let it right, you have, you have to accept it, um, understand it and let it pass through you. Um, all right. I was always a reliever. Um, even in high school, I started a little bit, but I was mostly always a reliever. Um, to me, I was never the guy. I'm still never the guy that's, I'm not super organized. I don't like routines. Um, I always just liked, you know, doing my own thing and like getting ready. Like it's not that I didn't prepare and get ready and, and it wasn't mentally prepared, but I didn't have like a set routine. And I think part of that was because I was always in the bullpen. I never even really, you know, I had, I had five minutes to get hot and, and, um, I didn't have like a 45 minute build up into going to start. Right. So I, it was always just for me, it kind of fit me well as a reliever. Um, my personality of just kind of not really caring too much about the exact, you know, this, you know, the timing of everything and, and the exact things that I did. Um, so that kind of, so that really worked for me as a reliever, but going into a starter, it was a little bit different. Um, to me, I tried to treat it very much the same. My first ever start, um, I didn't even know I was starting that day, which I think really helped in my favor because I wouldn't be able, been able to sleep the night before. Um, the starter, the starter for BC, who's who I'm now coaching, he like got in an accident, like a bike accident. He like scraped up his knee and like he was just not able to pitch that day. And they're like, "We need someone to pitch." Like, and they called my name, and I was really excited. Um, and that was just like two hours before the game. And I think it really helped me just not get nervous for it because, um, you know, it just kind of happened and, and it worked well for me just not being the kind of guy that wants to have all this routine and all this, um, everything being measured out. Um, but I just try to treat it the same as being, being in the bullpen. Like it's still one pitch at a time. Um, you're going to throw more pitches. Like you might throw a hundred pitches instead of out of the pen, you might throw 25, but every pitch, every pitch is just as important as the next. You got to treat the game one pitch at a time and, 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 and try to eat innings as much as you can and put up zeros. Right. So um, for me, I try not to change too much going into a starter role. I did um, develop a routine that a normal starter would have. So, you know, I'd walk out, let's say 45 minutes um, before my start and, and go through all my, my routine, you know, throw piles, stretch, um, active warm up, all these things. Um, but once I got on the mound, like I just tried to treat the same. It was the same thing. You're just trying to get that guy out one pitch at a time. Um, and I was just, you know, luckily, luckily enough, my name got called and, um, it was nice being a starter. I enjoyed it. Um, just being able to pitch more often, like that's fun. Like I got to pitch more than usual because I was throwing more innings. So, um, to me, I really liked it. Um, I maybe wasn't as good as I was in the pen, who knows, but, um, it was still a blast and it was a great learning experience for me, especially now getting into coaching, um, kind of seeing the differences from both sides as a player. Um, that's been really helpful. So, um, but, but for me, yeah, the main takeaway was I just try to treat the same. Um, you're still playing the game one pitch at a time. The situation's different. Yeah. But you just control what you can control. Right. And I can, I can tr control what I do with this ball right now for this pitch and this next second and just try to treat it like that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to hear, like, I'm sure you've had millions. I mean, there's no shot you didn't have every single reporter asking, what's the difference between D3 and D1 ACC? Like, I'm sure you've heard that 7 million times, so I'm not going to ask that. But, it, like, I think you just answered it for me. It's like – 
it's the same game. You're still in control and you're controlling what you can, regardless of whether you're playing at Babson against Emerson. Sorry, Emerson, like no hate to you. Like, it's, like it's, I don't know if that's a bad thing to say. A, yeah, I don't know if anyone from Emerson is going to like have hate on me, but like you're a great program, like no hate. I'm just saying like comparing you to like, like UNC or, or like Vanderbilt, like some, you know, like a team like that, like that's just, it's different, but you are controlling regardless of the environment you're in, regardless of the fans, regardless of the setting, the location, the place, you're constantly just trying to control what we can control. And that happens. It's great lesson to have for a pitcher, but also just in life, because there's going to be a lot of things that we can't control that we're not planning for that we don't want to happen, but we're going to get blindsided sometimes and not be able to control some stuff. And we just got to stick to what we can control and kind of try to control our motion, kind of control our headspace and, and just do what we physically can and mentally can. Cause then eventually that manifests out and kind of goes into the environment and, and world around us. So that's a good lesson to take away. Um, as far as the transition from D one, to or excuse me d3 to the acc right like that's just that's just kind of your your mindset and motto it's just the game same game um and i tried to remind myself that too when i was pitching on on the cape i would always like you you can i think the the steps now are now now you understand the lesson like if you're listening you understand this lesson but now you need to find a way that you can remind yourself because it's easier said right now when we're sitting and talking than when you're actually on the mound with 30,000 fans or the best hitter you've ever seen at the plate. Like it's, it's easier to say it than actually do it. So if you can find a way to make an actionable step so that you can remind yourself, like I'll give an example for me, I would, I would go behind the mound before whenever I got the ball in the Cape and I would like write my grandfather's initials, which I did regardless of where I was. Um, But then another thing I would do is I would like start looking around the place wherever I was pitching. And I did this, at Northeastern too, like look around, like where, where are we? Like, where is this field? Where, how many fans and just kind of take it all in. But then that allowed me to understand that it was the same game, even though the setting is different, it was the same game, the same thing. I'm doing the same thing that I was on the farm. Like when I was five years old, I was taking a ball and throwing it into the pitch bag as hard as I could and catching it and framing it pretending I was I was a D1 baseball player. So it's like the same game, just a different location, different setting. And as far as far removed as as I may be from the farm, I'm actually that same kid. Like I've never, never changed. And I hope to never change from that kid. That's who I am. That's who I'll always be. Um, that's who I want to be, especially on the mound. So just having actionable steps that you can add into your daily routine to remind yourself of why it comes back to like why you're playing the game. Like that helps you get through moments that might be stressful or, or pressure filled in in your careers. Uh, so th- that's what I got on that, and and kind of taking that my Cape experience. You played in Brewster. What was what was the Cape summer like for you? Yeah, it was it was an awesome opportunity. You know, playing playing college ball in the Northeast. You always hear about the Cape. Um, I mean, around the country, you hear about the Cape, but in the Northeast, especially, like that's always a dream. You know destination for summer ball um i remember i was supposed to go to the cape the COVID summer i was supposed to play in harwich on a temp um that ended up getting banged because of covid but um i was lucky enough to be able to play 
it was the 2022 summer in Brewster. I was probably the oldest guy on the Cape. Um, it was my, that was going into my sixth year. Um, I stayed there for about a month. I had three starts, um, pitched about 12 innings. Um, it, it was an absolute blast. Um, to me, the coolest part, um, you know, it, it was interesting coming from the summer before we, we were in, at Jordy's farm in Vermont and then you're going to play in the Cape and it's just, it's just, uh, just a different, you know, scenery. Um, but you know, to me, the biggest difference and the coolest part about it was just the level of play. Um, and, and I certainly was not one of the best players in the Cape by any means. Um, but like just being able to pitch against and, and talk to like players that are, you know, getting drafted, like in a couple weeks, uh, get, you know, a lot of, you know, top 10 round picks, top five round picks. You know, we had, a, we had a kid on Brewster. He was, um, he was a switch hitting shortstop from USF and man, like he was, it was just unbelievable to see in person, like how, how good he was. Like, it was just, that was the coolest part for me. Whenever you can watch somebody who's at, just playing at such a high level, like that is always like one of the coolest experiences you can have. Like for me, like, when I can watch someone who's just even if I'm playing Florida State and we're getting our doors beat it kicked in at Boston College, like that guy on the mound, like he just put he put on an absolute show for Florida State, like that's just so awesome to watch. Like man, that guy just competed. He was like pitching at such a high level. Like it's so cool to see. And I feel like in the, at the Cape, like you just see it all around the field, just constantly, like multiple times a game. You're just like, wow, like that was unbelievable. Like I could never do that. Um, but that was the coolest part for me. And, um, you know, I met some really cool guys, talked to a bunch of guys, you know, go, go to some big division one programs. Um, so kind of, you know, pick their brains a little bit. I remember I talked to, um, one of my favorite combos was with Teddy McGrath, who, who was at Wake Forest. He got drafted, I think second round, maybe third round. Um, but he was super knowledgeable on, on the data stuff. He kind of showed me, you know, a little bit about like what Wake did. Um, they had like a database, um, that they gave to all their players that they could look up any pitch metrics over the last like five years in the NCAA. And, and to me at the time, I didn't really know too much about the data, but I was kind of interested in it. And I was, it was just like, it was just really interesting to me. Um, so like you meet people like that, that just have a high level of knowledge of the game um, that are super physically talented. Um, so like, that was the coolest part for me. was just being able to see like the level of talent, being able to play against that, at that level, um, even if I didn't perform great, um, unlike Jordy who performed out of his shoes, um, it was still, it was still just an awesome experience. Um, just, just from that, right. Like I played, I played against, and I played with a couple of guys that will be in the big leagues and, and there's probably no other place you can play summer ball and say that. Um, so that was, so that was really cool. I'm really grateful and really lucky, lucky to have that experience, even if it was short lived and, you know, I was, it was still a blast, even if, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a two ERA or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And Henry, Henry is right. I did perform out of my shoes on the disc golf course. I went every day and I was, I was absolutely just smashing records every day, beating my own record on the off days, you know, shooting, yeah. shooting four under, like just crazy stuff. Yeah. Just unbelievable stuff. So yeah, yeah I had a good, good uh, they got some good disc golf course on the Cape. Yeah. So I had, I had a good summer mostly on the disc golf course, but yeah, like everything else is fun too. Um, but yeah. And then, and then even like moving forward um, last year, 
I mean, we were pretty – we were in touch more last year during the season than I think the season before at Northeastern, maybe partially because I was injured and had nothing nothing else to do. Um, not that I don't want to text you if I don't have anything to do, no, but no, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So – um, but you were telling me like, oh, like I feel out of whack. Like this year, I feel a little bit weird. I feel a little bit out of whack. And uh, maybe you could talk about, you know, what you were feeling out of whack because that's not a, a, it's not an uncommon thing. That's a very common thing in pitching. You always hear it like, man, like I just don't feel good on the mound. I don't, I don't feel. I feel a little bit weird. Like everybody goes through that transition, regardless of what age you're at. Like you're always going to have times where you don't feel great. And what were some some steps that you use to get out of whack. And then, I mean, I'll talk, you can touch on it more, but you were telling me that to get out of it, you, you were kind of doing some, some th- simple things and your transformation back to getting that velo back was kind of just more simple than, than crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, as a coach now, I think that was like the most valuable experience for me um, in my playing career was my last year of pitching. Right. I, after my fifth year, it was my first year at Boston College. Um, I had a pretty pretty solid season, nothing special. But going into my sixth year, I was supposed to be basically like the Friday guy, like the number one starter. Um, you know, you know, I was supposed to be the man, right? Like I had a really good fall. Um, I, I was the best I had ever been that fall. So I had really high hopes for the spring. You know, try to play pro ball. Um, you know, try to get drafted. Uh, you know, have a three ERA in the ACC and be the Friday guy and win us a bunch of games. And I think, um, you know, I let that kind of all those outside factors, all those external factors that are totally out of my control. I totally let them, um, bother me. Like now I was in fear of, Oh, I'm not going to, you know, I had a bad start. I'm not going to get drafted. Oh, I'm going to lose my job as the Friday guy. I, you know, all these things. And like, you know, when I was out of whack, it was more, uh, meant or it was more mental and emotional than it was physical. Um, I didn't lose any physical capabilities. Like I didn't feel like my arm didn't hurt and my body felt really good. I felt strong, all these things. Um, but like mentally and emotionally, I was a wreck. Like I was a complete wreck. You know, it, it weighed me down. Like, you know, all this pressure was placed on me that, that I placed on myself. Like, I didn't need to go and be the Friday guy. I, like I could just do my own thing. And when I pitched my innings, I pitched my innings and there was no pressure at all. But because, you know, I maybe had some success before and I was all lined up to be the man, um, it, it wore me down um, straight from the spring, like straight away going into February, I was just not the same. Um, you know, the coaches would tell me, Hey, like you don't look the same, not, not physically, but like ment- like mentally, emotionally, how I'm carrying myself on the field. Like, I don't look as confident. I look hesitant, tentative, right? Where I usually just threw the ball as hard as I can right down the middle and just let it eat and like have fun and like not think and just work at a quick pace. And like, and, and I think just all that pressure kind of built up um, and it really weighed me down. Right. And like, it's really, it was really hard to get out of that. And it probably took three months. Like I think I started to get out of that probably in May after being in that through February, um, just trying to like, you know, what really helped was like similar to what you said was just trying to feel like you're a five-year-old again, like just having a ton of fun. Like the only goal for me right now is to go and just have fun. And even though that's not the only goal, like obviously I want to put up zeros and strike everyone out, 
Like that's the mindset I needed to have to trick myself, to be able to put those pressures away, all those fears away and, and just let myself have fun and enjoy the moment and just do my best um, with no fear of anything. No, um, no, um, what's the word? Uh, I can't remember the word, but no expectations, like oh, okay. no, no expectations to, to do anything that I'm not right. Like I just want to go out there and just have fun. Um, so mentally that was, that was big. That, that was kind of the shift I had to make. And I think as a coach, you know, coaching now, like that's super important for me to recognize. And I, I can see it in guys sometimes like, um, there's a couple guys on my team or on Boston college pitching staff that they came into the fall and like, they just didn't look like they were having fun. They look hesitant. And, you know, after asking, Hey, you feel all right, like physically, um, and you know, they feel great. You know, you know, you know, it's an emo, it's, it's a mental, it's a mental issue. And, you know, it's me trying to talk them down, um, saying, Hey, like you just got to do your thing. Like, don't worry about anything else. Like you got to find a way to just get in the right headspace, be free, be free of everything else. Just feel like you're free on the mound, have no expectations. And, and just do your best and have fun. And you're lucky to be at this level um, and, and just enjoy it. Right. Um, I remember one thing, one thing that changed physically. Now I touched on the mental, emotional thing. Um, because I had played like six years of college baseball, we both played six years of college baseball. Like we had a lot of experience, right? Like we had five years of college baseball before our last year. Um, so we knew what kind of worked and what didn't work. Right. And going into that season in the spring for my sixth year, uh, you know, I try to change myself a little bit, like mechanically, like I wanted to throw a little harder. So I thought I had to do these things and changed how I threw the ball, try to change the pitches that I threw. Like, you know, I try to throw a sweeper, which I've never thrown before. I try to throw my fastball with crazy ride, like, which I was just not able to do. Um, and so because I think physically, my, you know, my movement patterns changed over time from trying to do these new things and just ended up not benefiting me. Like I didn't end up throwing harder. I didn't end up having ride or having a consistent sweeper. Um, it just wasn't who I was. Like there's only, I, I'm good at throwing a change up. Like I should just stick with that and like, you know, not try to change who I am because it's clearly worked to a decent level. Right. Um, so to get back to some of those movement patterns I had before, I would just go back to drills that Jordy and I had done at Babson for four years, like didn't do anything complicated to um, try to counteract any movement patterns I had changed. I just went back to the, to how, how I had always done it, how I had done it at Babson, how I'd done it at high school as a kid, like just go out there and throw the ball hard to a target, like do like maybe a couple simple drills that like made me feel good. Um, but, you know, trying to find the newest thing, the coolest thing um, that all the, you know, what you see on Instagram, the high level coaches that are saying, Hey, this is the best drill. Um, using all these different tools and things like that just wasn't it for me. And it, it, it you know, it took my, took my focus off of just, you know, trying to throw that ball hard to a target in any way I can. And, and that was just my, you know, my way of trying to get back to myself physically. And, and then I touched on how I did mentally and emotionally. Um, that was a tough time, but like, you get through it and, and you, you're better for it, right? You're better for it. You're going to run into those tough times, um, but you're better for it at the end of the day when, when you realize that you can get out of it and, and how you got out of it, and then you can help others do it in the future. Yeah, two, two takeaways from that, just another another takeaway. So if you missed it, 
I'm here to help you and remind you that you should be listening closer. But first one is, is you don't have to be a different pitcher necessarily. Like sometimes it's good to try new things, but if you're trying to be somebody or not, regardless of whether this is in baseball or as a person, like you're going to feel kind of this tension and almost like weird feeling like this isn't me. Like this isn't what I do. Like this isn't who I am. This doesn't feel right and true to like who I am as a person or as a pitcher or whatever, but I'm not going to throw the same pitches or the same way that leak does. Like I'm not going to throw the same way DeGrom does. Like we're different people. We move differently. And we also just have comfort, comfort, com- comfortability levels. Like, I don't know, comfort levels with, with what we're going to throw. Like he throws a changeup Well, I throw a splitter. Well, I'm not going to take away my splitter and try to throw a changeup. I'm not going to, I was a terrible curveball pitcher. I'm not going to go back and try to throw a curveball. I'm just going to stick to the slider. That's comfortable for me. Like you don't have to mirror somebody. Exactly. You don't, if you, even if you're watching somebody at the pro level, you probably shouldn't mirror them too close. Cause it's probably not close to who you are. If you're not, throwing 95 already like so just understand that you don't have to mirror anybody specifically you can kind of make your own way and be unique in your own way um and then the the second thing i'm really hoping i didn't forget the second thing oh no this is not good we might have to move past maybe mental any mental things i reach no maybe maybe it'll come maybe it'll come back to me but i'll we'll move on before it does um being being a coach and a player, like you're now a pitching coach at BC, and you were a player for six years. Uh, what are what are trends in baseball? Like, where do you think this game is going? And maybe it's too hard of a question for you to answer, but where do you see this game going? And what are some trends that you're picking up in in today's game? Um. Well, I mean, the obvious one, the obvious ones are, uh, you know, just what you see from velocity from both sides of the ball right like hitters are hitting the ball harder they're hitting the ball in the air more right you see more like those launch angle swings people like to call it um but basically just trying to hit the ball over the fence there's more of an emphasis on power um because they found that you know home runs are pretty pretty good um and then pitching wise like the velocity is going harder like has gotten has increased year over year over year right consistently um like those are two important things that I don't really see, you know, those trends going away. Like I think pitchers are only going to, are, are only going to keep throwing harder and harder. Um, and hitters are going to have to be able to, you know, swing faster and hit the ball further too, or not further, but hit the ball more consistently and swing faster um, to be able to hit those pitches that are coming in even harder year after year. Right. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like when you, th- when you throw harder, the hitter has less time to react. Um, and from the same, same side behind the ball, um text yeah sorry uh <laughs> behind the ball like hitting wise like if, if you swing faster you have more time to to react to the ball before you have to actually decide if you're going to swing or not um so those are some trends those are the clear ones um from pitching side if i dive into it a little bit more i'm into the data which i love um like off speed usage uh is going up significantly um i think last year I wasn't a part of the coaching staff at, at BC last year, but last year BC threw um, the highest percentage of breaking balls in the country. Um, and I think that was a really great strategy because breaking balls are just harder to hit than a fastball. 
Um, there are some guys, there's probably four or five guys on the BC pitching staff right now out of 23. There's probably four or five of them that should be able to throw their fastball more than half the time. And meaning like it's really hard and really rare to have an elite fastball that you can throw over 50% of the time and the hitters still are not going to be able to do well off it. Um, I certainly didn't have one. It's very rare to have one. If you do have one, it must be nice to just be able to throw fastballs all the time. Um, but because most pitchers aren't like that, they have to be able to command their slider and, and have good off-speed pitches, command their slider, command their changeup, whatever it is, curveball. Um, be able to command it and throw it in the zone more often because to have success, like your slider is probably better than your fastball and your changeup is probably better than your fastball too. And you want to make hitters have to hit pitches that they don't want to hit and the hitters want to hit fastball. So make them hit a slider and change up. Um, so those are some trends that um, you see at the major league level, you see at the college level. I certainly am pushing at BC that we throw more off-speed pitches and less fastballs. Um, as a whole, on average, right? Everybody's different, but on average, right? Most most pitchers, their best pitch is not their fastball. So we want to throw those less, less often. And, and hitters always want to hit fastballs because they've seen it their whole life. Like they've, in batting practice, everyone's throwing fastballs, mostly righties, right-handed batting practice throwers, um, pitching machines, they're all fastballs, right? So they've seen it their whole life and they're good at hitting them, um, but they don't get to see as many sliders. Especially, I was looking into some more data, like, Lefty off-speed pitches, change-ups, and sliders play significantly better than righty off-speed pitches just because the batters just haven't seen them as often. Like, uh, a lefty slider is just way better than a righty slider, and a lefty change-up is just better than a righty change-up because hitters don't see it as often. Like, that's why lefties are so valuable and why lefties can get away with throwing two miles an hour slower than, than the average righty at, at any level. Um so, you know, looking into, you know, how pitchers perform historically and, and, and being able to adjust your game plan and, and your pitch usage um, based on those those trends and, those, and that data. Um, I only see data being used more and more throughout the next couple of years. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the trends that I see. And what I try to tell the younger pitchers as well is, like, get comfortable throwing your slider in the zone and, and for a put-away pitch a lot because you're if you play in college level like that's what you're going to do a lot unless you're one of the select few they'll select you know 15 percent of guys that have an elite fastball you still should have a good slider that you can command but you can just get away with throwing your fastball a little bit more but um yeah i'm interested to see what you have on on on, on the history on the future of baseball anything that you see yeah i mean you clearly haven't haven't seen my 88 monitor fastball because it's you know just elite nobody touches it so <laughs> no uh yeah i haven't i haven't looked too much into the trends of baseball but <clears throat> i mean just like you said i i think being able to to command your off speed or or maybe at least have maybe not you don't have to worry right now about three or four off speed um but but just having one or two good ones that you can play off of your fastball cuz i I think the fastball still plays a role in maybe setting something else up because if, if they're constantly looking for, for a curveball, then, then maybe they'll, they'll lay off um, something that's maybe like at the knees or, or hip height because they think it's going to drop, but just having a fastball that can also tunnel off it. Um, but yeah, just, just the, 
maybe the command factor of, of the off speed. Um, I know a lot of off speed are thrown for put out pitches, but now they're starting to be early in the count, um, getting ahead with them. Um, honestly, even using them to both sides of the plate kind of pitchers are now, um, that's not an easy thing to do. I'm very, I'm not recommending that to a high schooler, like trying to land your curveball on one side of the plate. Cause pretty easy to hang a curveball if you're trying to get it arm side too, or, or trying to land it. Yeah. Arm side to like away to a lefty. Like that's a pretty easy one to hang. So like, I'm. You right. can play around with it, but I'm not. I'm not recommending it. But yeah, just maybe command is is also on the rise. I know velo's on the rise. Obviously, like it's just harder to hit faster pitch. It makes more sense. You have less time to see it. Um, but also making sure that that you can command command the off speed and, com- and and just limit walks. Like people are trying to get on base. If you can limit walks, you're gonna have have some success. Um, I did remember what I was gonna say. You were talking about when you were feeling out of whack and just. Um, I wanted to add that I think that that should be something that younger players understand is that it's not just you feeling out of whack. So don't, don't feel weird talking to other people or, or speaking up about it. Like, yo, I feel weird. Like everyone's domed up at some point. Like I've given the example multiple times. I wanted to quit baseball at SNHU. Like I couldn't throw a baseball 45 feet. Like I was so domed up. Um, So, I mean, everyone goes through it and, and maybe it'll, uh, that's fine. You're good. Maybe it'll uh, feel better for you to know that no matter like what level of player you are, you're going to struggle and, and, and move through it. And I, if I had known that, I think I would have, it would have felt better to me as a freshman in college, knowing that people go through stuff like this. Um, so that's, that's what I wanted to touch on, but yeah, but yeah, yeah no, I, I guess that kind of go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, you know, going through that, I immediately saw, a couple guys on our staff at the time. Um, and, you know, I was a captain at BC, so I felt, you know, I had some responsibility to make sure younger guys were feeling good. Um, and you could see it once you, once you, once you experience it, which I had never really experienced it like that before in my career. Once you experience it, you can kind of see it in other guys. And I remember going up to at least two guys on the team that I just saw, you know, either pitching the game or, they weren't pitching and just, you know, being around the field that like, they just seemed out of whack and like you recognize it. Cause you know how it feels. Um, and you know how it takes a toll on you now and you can see another guys. And like, I went up and talked to them and be like, Hey, like, I don't know if you're feeling this, but like, it looks like you're feeling it. And I know I'm going through the same thing right now. And like, you know, I was trying to tell him, this is my strategy. Like, Hey man, like I think for me, it's really helped just, have as much fun as I can pretend like I'm 10 years old again. And just, I'm in little league, just having fun, throwing the ball hard to the strike zone and, and you know, give them some strategies and, and, and try to help them immediately. Um, and I think it's a really important thing about being a good teammate is like, if you see someone going through something like that, like having, having the awareness to be able to talk to them and try to help them out without them, without making them feel like, um, you know, they're alone, right? Like, everyone goes through that um, and, and they're not alone at all. Like, and so you have to be able to help them. And, but first of all, you have to help yourself too. Um, and it can help you. It can help yourself by, by talking to other guys and seeing, Hey, what, maybe what they're doing, maybe what their strategy that they're using to try to bring themselves back to life um, can help you. So it's really important to, you know, help your teammates out um, when you see someone struggling and, and being honest with yourself that you need, you need, you know, you might need a little help and you might need to talk to somebody whatever it is. Um, but just being open and, 
and being, you know, willing to try new things um, and shift your mindset. Cause if something's not working, you're feeling bad. Like something's got to change. Right. Um, so yeah, I just want to touch on like everybody, everybody goes through it. Like I felt like I was alone going through it, but like, then I started to see other guys do it. I'm like, Hey, I'm not alone. Like this is just, this is normal, right? Like everyone goes through it. Um, and so you try to help each, help each other get out of it. Right. One day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Now kind of to wrap everything together, what is, what is your stance on the command versus velo? Like that's, that's a long standing controversial topic. Like some guys who are like, Oh, you should just command. Like that's all you need. And then there's some guys it's like, all you need is velo. Like, Oh, you just like, you're not going to get drafted unless you're velo, which probably is true. Like you're, you're not going to get drafted if you're velo, but where do you stand on the command versus velo? Yeah. Um, I think first I'll, I'll touch first. I'll say if you want to play at the next level, um, if you want to play pro ball, if you want to play at the division one level, the biggest thing is going to be velo. Um, so velo is more important in high school. Velo is more important if you're trying to play at the next level. Um, beyond that, uh, not just talking to guys trying to play at the next level and, and get to the next level. Um, I think both are super important. Like I look at pitching as basically 50% stuff and 50% execution and execution, meaning, you know, where you throw that pitch, how often you're able to execute that pitch in that location. So basically command. Um, I see it as almost 50, 50. If I were to choose a, you know, if obviously having really good stuff is kind of, is cooler than having good command. Um, but they're both super important. You can't have one without the other, right? You just can't have one without the other. Um, you think like Spencer Strider, right? Like he has super good stuff. Um, like insane fastball, good slider, right? Like super good stuff. But like what goes unseen is like he executes just as well as anyone, like at, at an elite level as well. Like he has elite stuff and elite command, um, elite execution. So that's what makes him a top five pitcher in the, uh, in, in the world. And he'll probably be a top five pitcher in the world for the next decade. Uh, at least I'm a, I'm a Strider fan. I think, I think he, he's going to be great for, for another decade. Um, same thing with DeGrom, right? Like you can't have one without the other. And, and, and the, you know, you see Blake Snell is, is kind of one, the one guy that he walks a ton of guys. He doesn't really have good execution of his pitches, but he has insane stuff and he just won the Cy Young. Um, so like there are guys that can get away with it, but Blake Blake Snell can only do that because his stuff is unbelievably good, and you're just not you just don't have that stuff. So command is important to everyone else in the world besides Blake Snell, or those guys that are you know top point 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 zero one zero 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 one percent stuff, right? Um, but in the same token, um, you know if you're point zero you, you if you don't have stuff like commands it matters a little bit, like it matters a little bit, but like you need to have good stuff with it. Right. Like I remember Strider said, um, if you don't have good stuff, like you're just throwing batting practice, um, like to the hitter, like if it's just not something, if, if it's something they see every day, it's just batting practice. Then even if you can execute it, you got to have some of both. Um, so pitching certainly some of both. I think a good way to look at it at is you always want to be able to execute. Um, but, if you have better stuff 
and, and better stuff, meaning you throw harder and you throw pitches that move more generally more than others or in different ways than others that's a high stuff pitch so if you're if your slider's 85 versus 80 like that 85 mile an hour slider is better stuff um but uh what i'm trying to say is that if you have better stuff you're where you can execute the pitch is greater right you have a greater margin for error of where you can throw that pitch if you have a really if you have jordy splitter which is a really nasty off-speed pitch he has to throw it probably below the belt to a batter, below the belt and before it bounces off the plate. And like, that's his margin or his, you know, his, his execution zone. And if he throws it there, he can expect good results off that. He can expect good results off it more often than not. That's going to play. He's going to get a good amount of swings and misses um, and get a lot of weak contact. But if his splitter were bad and his zone is that big from his belt to feet, you know, he's not going to have a lot of success. Um, his, his zone might now be, you know, shin to, to top of the knee. And it's just that small little zone. And if he doesn't throw it there, then he's going to have worse results. But if he throws there, he'll have the same results, but it's, it's just harder to, um, execute and command a pitch when it's, when it's bad stuff. Right. So, um, having good stuff definitely open up, opens up a lot of doors. It gives you a lot more freedom to be able to throw pitches in the heart of the zone. Um, cause you trust that this is an above average pitch, no matter where I throw it, um, so I'm just going to be able to, you know, just um, let it rip down the middle and that improves your command, right? You're not nibbling on the corners um, and things like that. So um, that's a long-winded answer, but um, I would say they're both definitely important. If you want to play at the next level, VLO is definitely more important than command. Um, but if you're just trying to win games right now for your team, um, you got to focus on command. Like if you're in the middle of the season, there's not much you can do about your stuff, to be honest. There's not much you can do. So you just got to be able to find a way to command at a better level. And that's your best way um, to, to, you know, win more games, have better success and perform at a higher level. Um, and the off season is where you can really try to um, improve your stuff and then come into the year with a, a whole, you know, a much improved arsenal where you can now, you know, not nibble on the corners and throw pitches in the heart of, plate, heart of the plate with confidence. Um, and it just makes pitching more fun when you have nasty stuff. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah just yeah just just understanding what season you're at i think is very like a very important thing too is like i'm probably not gonna work sorry if you hear the dog in the background but i'm not gonna hear i'm not gonna work on my slider in a game with a batter in the box like that's not when we're working on it we're working on it when we're in when we're in the off season or when we're building up we're not working on the splitter in a new game, like maybe we are, but the game means nothing. And it's a summer ball game. Like that's what summer ball's for. But in a game, when I'm pitching against USF, I'm not going to be throwing a new slider. Like that's just, we have to know when, when to practice and when, when not to. Um, and then I guess to go off that, how can you, you know, interconnect with the data side being so big? I know you're a big data guy now too. How can we connect that technological side with the human element side? Like, it's not always mechanics, but it's not always emotion. Like how, how have you connected the two? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that data can do for you is, um, especially with a new pitch, like you can now quantify that. Let's say for example, I'll give you a story. Um, from Babs at Babson college, I was a two pitch guy I threw a fastball and a slider. 
I just threw a fastball and a slider, right? My whole my whole career at Babson. Um, when I came to BC, I threw a fastball, a slider, and a changeup, right? And I and I used my changeup in the fall. We did a couple of inner squads, probably through like seven or eight innings. Threw my changeup about ten percent of the time. It was very rare. It was mostly to lefties. Um, it was just something to show um, because I didn't I didn't know how good it was, um, and I didn't know how good it was until. The coach, the, the pitching coach at Boston College says to me, hey, this is your best pitch. You need to throw this 50% of the time. And, and he jokingly said, he's like, if you don't throw this 50% of the time, next outing, I'm going to cut you. And he, was, and he was joking, but like he was trying to get the point across that you are a change-up pitcher um, and you need to throw it a bunch. And I think what the data can do is now that they have the data on my change-up, they can see, hey, this pitch is supposed to perform and probably it, it predicts to perform at a really high level and get a lot of swings and miss and weak contact. So you need to throw it more. And now you, and now that you know that, you can have the conviction to be able to throw that in any count at any time in a bigger margin for error. Like you don't have to nibble on the corners. Um, so I think that's really important. And what's a big advantage having data is you can recognize um, exactly how good your pitches are or how bad your pitches are, but mostly how good your pitches are and then that gives you some extra conviction um, to be able to throw those pitches with confidence, right? If if you just saw that, you know, hey, my slider on track, man, is above average, like, dude, I'm going to throw that thing more and I'm super, I'm confident in it now. Like, dude, I got the numbers right here. They're saying, hey, this is nasty. I'm going to throw it more with conviction, like, and all of a sudden I'm going to hold, I'm a whole new pitcher and I'm pitching better than I ever have. Or, you know, on the flip side, hey, the data says my slider sucks. Um, you know, I'm not going to throw it as much and, you know, I'll, I'll try to game plan around that. Or, you know, if I do throw it, it's got to be in a leverage count or, you know, being really trying to be able to command it to a certain zone and really get better at commanding it if this stuff isn't good on it. Right. So, um, I think that's really important where it kind of connects the data to the actual competitiveness, um, and the mindset that you can have with certain pitches. Um, it's just seeing, you know, you're getting objective feedback on how good your pitches are, how bad they are. And then that gives you some extra conviction or it lets you know that, you know, you got to be a little more careful with one pitch or the other or one pitch you can just throw down the middle and, and, and expect it to do well. So um, I think that's a big one um, from the data side that, you know, you, you just see it all the time at BC. Like someone hasn't, some, I'll get a high school kid who, you know, never really threw their slider, but, I looked at the data and it's outlier. It's an elite slider at the college level. And and I tell them like, yo, throw this thing a ton. And more often than not, they go out in the next day and they throw their, their live outing and they just get tons of swing and miss on their slider. And it's like, yeah, the data showed that, but they never knew it. And now that they, they know it and they see it in the game, like then that gives them the extra conviction to be able to compete with it and know that, Hey, I got something special that not everyone else has. And like, I can really dominate with this when they never really knew it before. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big one that, that data can do to you. And what I try to, you know, that's, I try to use the data from BC to give more confidence to my guys, um, to my pitching staff, um, through, through using the data. Yeah. So you're almost using the technological side to get to the emotional side almost. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to wrap up as far as, the, the meat of the podcast, but I do have the rapid fire questions that I'm going to run through quickly. 
Um, and I have an added rapid fire question that I added personally only for this podcast at oh, the no. end. So, all right. Favorite book. Um, uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. Favorite memory from baseball. I guess my favorite memory, uh, I pitched at, I got to pitch at Fenway against Virginia Tech, my fifth year of college. Um, you know, that was awesome. Obviously pitching at Fenway. Favorite food. Ooh, it's either pizza or sushi. I'm going to have to go sushi. If you're going to sushi, go to Yamato. Yamato and Brighton. We've, uh, Leek and I have been there a few times. Um, what is something you're, what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? Um, uh-oh. I think, hmm. Okay. Three, three things pop in my head real quick. Okay. One, reading. I think reading is good. I hate reading, but I th- it's really good for you. And it's a really good way to, uh, you know, stay sharp and, and learn new things. Two, I am never was never really a huge fan of, but I've heard so many positive things about meditating. I've heard meditation is like really big Let's and go. health benefits. Um, so I think I'm gonna try to do that more often. And then third thing, I need to get back in the weight room. Uh, I've kind of been slacking off in the weight room since my playing career is over. So I need to get back in there and, and keep my, you know, my physique and my my physical fitness up. Um, so those are the three things. Yeah, Leek, uh, Leek is a is a beast in the weight room. I um, when we were Babson together, he was he was one of the only pitchers that was. I believe you were. Was it a clean? You were cleaning, right? Yeah. He also snapped his wrist that way, so I'm not recommending that you clean 245. Because yeah. if you if if you drop it, it'll break your wrist. And ask Leek, he, it'll break your wrist. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's yeah. something you? What's something you often forget you're grateful for? Oh, wow. I mean, I mean, I try to be really, I try to stay grateful for everything. I feel like I've been really lucky in life to have gotten, you know, all the experiences I have. Um, Let's see. Um, I am, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for the childhood that I had, I guess. Um, just like my, my parents being very supportive of me and, you know, driving me to sport, you know, sporting practices and games. Um, always trying to help me, uh, you know, develop and, and let the thing and let me do the things I loved, which was playing sports. Um, so I think that, that that's super important to stay grateful of, um, you know, everyone that helped you got to where you are. Um, so, yeah. Best life lesson baseball has taught you best life lesson uh hmm. so many so many good ones so many like all the lessons um dang uh i would say i would say and we've touched on this earlier but i would say that you never know don't just because something that you think is negative happens, don't let it ruin ruin your passion, or um, you know, don't let it don't let it ruin what what your end goals are. Right, like something negative could happen 
yes, tomorrow and like you just gotta work through it right or like you, i didn't end up at a d1 i ended up at a d3 like i didn't let it you know take over and let me you know i didn't feel um discouraged from you know trying to make it to the next level eventually or anything like that so i think um you just never know when something happens if it's going to end up being a positive or negative thing in the long run so just taking everything that happens um almost with a grain of salt and just you know not not letting it affect you negatively and and it could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Anything that happened, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you in the long run. Um, only time will tell, but you just never know until, until you know down the road. So I think, I think that's super, uh, that's a good life lesson that, I, that I've learned from the game. Yeah. Advice to your five-year-old self. Um, long toss more, uh, hit the weight room. <laughs> um, no, uh, I think uh, just, I would explore more things. Um, I would do more things that I was uncomfortable doing, like what, you know, public speaking or reading or, uh, dancing, like things that I just don't like to do now. Um, maybe if I had made myself do them earlier when I was young, um, I would have found some joy in, in these things. Um, so I think just putting yourself out there, trying new things, um, I wish I had done more things when I was five, I guess. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't dance as a five-year-old because if I had to watch you dance, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if that would, if that would be something I would, I would enjoy. Maybe I would, I don't know. I don't think but so. uh, yeah. And then this one is specifically for you. Um, this is the only time I'll ever use this question. Um, have you, have you read Sapiens, the book? Oh, damn. Put on the spot. Put him on the spot. Cause I bought this, I sent this book to him. You did send me that book. Thank you. I I have not read it yet. Oh. I will. I will, oh. I will be reading it. You can. Okay. Uh, you can hold me accountable for reading it. Uh, all right. Maybe on all these plane these plane flights in the spring or something, I'll uh, I'll, I'll read it on the plane. All right. And I need to get back into reading, like I said. So yeah. Thank you for getting that book. I, I will start reading it. <laughs> Maybe once I finish up school, I'll I'll start reading it. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. That's uh. That's all I got again. Um, if you guys have not followed us yet, follow us at Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And good thing also, best way to get in contact with Leek from this podcast is just DMing us at Primal Baseball because he is also part of Primal Baseball. So if you want to work with him, if you want to get a program that he can write, come to Primal Baseball and he will he will get you that program. So if you if you want to learn more about Henry – or you want to connect with him, come to Primal Baseball. We can connect you very simply. So, Henry, thank you for coming on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good, good talking to you. I'll see everybody next episode.